Episode 12, Paleo Desserts. Is there such thing as paleo desserts? You know, that's a good question, Owen. There better be, because otherwise I would starve. <laughs> Is the term paleo dessert an oxymoron? Are grain-free sweets the devil? Or are they a healthy bridge that helps people transition to a whole foods lifestyle? In this episode, we'll dive headfirst into this controversial subject and decide together, as a family, whether we should all just stuff our faces with grain-free cake. Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lil Lo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. So did you eat anything of note this week, Michelle? This week was all about fish. Anna Larson of Siren Fish Company emailed me last week to let me know that she was sending us a few pounds of fish. I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. We should explain that Siren Fish Company is a local, sustainable seafood purveyor that connects the people who catch fish directly to customers who want to eat super fresh seafood. Siren sources exclusively from fishermen who practice sustainable fishing in Northern California. Siren used to be known as Siren CSA, which is spelled S-E-A-S-A, and it was a play on the acronym CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Which are typically subscription-based home deliveries of fresh produce from local farms. Yep, though Siren is really a CSF, a Community Supported Fishery. We were longtime subscribers of Siren CSA. On weekends, I'd ask you to drive out to Mountain View to the delivery point, which was a house in a cul-de-sac. Yeah, the kids and I would drive over with a cooler and I'd go to the front porch of this person's house where there would be a few gigantic coolers stuffed with family-sized portions of that week's fresh seafood surprise. Every week would be different. Sometimes Siren would have fresh sardines, black cod, even salmon. And not just fish. Some days I'd flip open the cooler to find squid or mussels or Dungeness crab. We'd pick up our delivery, take it home, and cook it up. A bunch of our Siren CSA deliveries ultimately became recipes that are in the Nom Nom Paleo blog, app, and cookbook. Siren still offers a subscription service, but I discovered recently that Siren also sells fish by the pound on its website, and also through Good Eggs, which is an online service that allows users to buy all sorts of fresh produce and proteins from local farmers. It's like the farmer's market, only online and with home delivery. With Good Eggs, I'm able to choose exactly what I want to buy, including impossibly fresh seafood from Siren, and it gets delivered to my doorstep. But the seafood you got this week from Anna at Siren wasn't through Good Eggs, right? Nope. We normally buy it ourselves, but this was a special delivery. I don't often agree to accept free stuff because I don't want to be obligated to say something nice about products or services I haven't tried and wouldn't otherwise want to try. But as a longtime Siren customer, I already knew the stuff was really, really good seafood. And so I said yes. <laughs> it's seafood you would have talked about anyway. For sure. I haven't talked to Anna about this, but I'm even thinking of dragging her here to our dining room table so I can interview her for this podcast. I'd love her to tell us how she selects the best seafood, both for health and for sustainability. It is a really complicated issue. There's a ton of information out there from 
you know, the Monterey Seafood Watch Guide to books like The Great Fish Swap by Paul Greenberg and The Perfect Protein by Andy Sharpless. But seafood sellers label their stuff with all sorts of buzzwords, and it's difficult sometimes to get beyond the marketing and down to the straight scoop. Yeah, you don't even know if what's labeled is actually what you're getting. Yeah, and even if it is labeled correctly, sometimes there's more than meets the eye. I mean, I was just listening to an episode of Fresh Air a few days ago on on the radio, and Terry Gross was interviewing Paul Greenberg, and he explained that even though tilapia has become one of the most consumed types of fish in America, and even though Americans think eating any kind of fish is great for omega-3s, tilapia basically offers no omega-3 benefits at all. Greenberg actually pointed out that tilapia is just an inoffensive-smelling, bland-tasting whitefish that's a dough delivery system, in his words. So it's just something to be battered and fried and dipped into tartar sauce or whatever. It really is the chicken of the sea. Yeah, I guess so. It's just bland and inoffensive. It begs the question, what is the real story behind seafood? That's exactly what I'd love for Anna to cover. So Anna, I'm going to be reaching out to you about this. In the meantime, we just ordered from Siren because we trust them to source the best, most sustainably caught seafood in the San Francisco Bay Area. So what did you get from Siren this week, and what did you make? Well, we got three beautiful fillets. I cooked up wild king salmon, halibut, and white sea bass. The other night for dinner, I cooked the salmon and halibut sous vide, and I served it with an avocado crema, which is a recipe that I'm testing. And then on Saturday morning, I oven roasted the remaining sea bass filet, and we had it with some cherry tomatoes, crispy bacon, and sautéed mushrooms. And we had it for breakfast, which I know freaks out people who think it's nuts to eat anything other than eggs or bacon for breakfast. Or waffles or pancakes. Everybody loves pancakes. Actually, I don't love pancakes at all. But I love pancakes. They're good. But I hate waffles. But you did like the sea bass mom made for breakfast this weekend, right? Yeah, I even had seconds. It was really good with the bacon. Not me. I don't like eating fish for breakfast. Remember? When you put some in my mouth, I started crying. But then you ate it, right? Yeah, but I was still crying. Aww. The main course. Ah, desserts. Is there anything more controversial than desserts in the world of paleo? Uh, Yeah, sure there is. There's plenty of stuff more controversial in paleo, like whether to eat safe starches, how to make substitute baby formula out of liver, whether paleo and low carb can play together. Okay, okay. That was a rhetorical question. Besides, desserts are still a source of a lot of debate in paleo circles. On one end of the spectrum, there are paleo eaters who firmly believe that because refined sugar is addictive, causes obesity, and is bad for metabolic health, desserts are the devil. Tempting, but evil. On the other end of the spectrum, there are those who think that as long as you make desserts out of quote-unquote paleo ingredients, you can keep eating sweets just like before. And not just sweets, but other treats as well, like paleo pancakes and paleo breads and paleo breakfast muffins. I suppose we could lump paleo breakfast pastries into the dessert category because, let's be honest, breakfast pastries are just dessert you eat when you wake up. Wouldn't you say, though, that most paleo eaters are somewhere in the middle of the spectrum you just described? Sure. First of all, I think it's pretty extreme to never consume anything sweet. In fact, it's almost impossible for anyone to avoid eating anything sweet altogether. Even people who don't have a sweet tooth. Like me and Owen. Yeah, I don't even like desserts. 
When you guys order desserts at restaurants, I usually don't get anything. Because I just want some watermelon or other fruit like grapes when I get home. Right. But as you pointed out, you do like the sweetness of fruit. All humans are wired biologically to prefer calorie-rich sweet foods. But scientists have found that this is especially true in growing kids, like you. So even if you're not a huge fan of ice cream or cake, humans in general are predisposed to liking sweet things. I love sweet things. I only like sweet things. I know exactly how you feel. I felt the same way growing up. Yeah, as we were writing our cookbook, I went through all your childhood photo albums and found that just about every single photo taken of you as a kid involved you staring intently at birthday cakes. Lovingly. Lovingly. Other people in the photos, though, would be smiling and looking at the camera, but not you. Instead, your gaze was trained on the cake like you were going to eat it with your eyeballs. Okay, that's totally true, but let's not get too carried away. We're talking about the 1970s, and there were no digital cameras, so my parents tended to take photographs only on special occasions, like birthdays. And what else am I supposed to look at when there's a big, frosting-covered birthday cake in front of me? All right, point taken. Besides, didn't I just point out that growing kids prefer sweets? Yeah, but you didn't just prefer sweets. You have to admit you went a little overboard. Are you referring to the fact that I used to sneak little sandwich bags filled with sugar-packed powdery drink mix into bed (laughs) so I could lick my fingers, dip them into the bag of sugar powder, and then stick my fingers in my mouth as I drifted off to sleep? Yeah. This is totally true. I know this sounds horrifying, but I would do this. And the bag would last like three days because either the drink mix would be gone Or it would just be too lumpy, and I wouldn't understand why it would turn all lumpy by the third day. I guess you do have some quality standards, after all. That's right. Frankly, I just don't know how you could possibly go to sleep with that much sugar in your mouth. I don't know, but you know, miraculously, I didn't get any cavities either. This from the same woman who told me that her favorite birthday present ever was a huge bag of Japanese candy that was the size of your head. I know. I I remember one time I was on a walk with my parents because we would always go on walks after dinner because we were so healthy. (laughs) And she asked me, what do you want for your birthday? And at the time, I was obsessed with Japanese candy because there's a little Japanese grocery store and had all this Japanese candy. And it basically were these tangy candies made out of cornstarch because they would just melt on your tongue. But I love them. And when she asked me what I wanted for my birthday, I just said, I just want a giant bag of Japanese candy. And I didn't think she would actually get it for me, but she bought me a giant bag of Japanese candy. That is a great mom. It was. It was surprising. But then she made me share it with my sister. So I thought it was the worst (laughs) present ever. The best and worst. Yep. I I will say, though, that no matter how many times I hear your stories about uh, going to bed with bags of sugar powder under your pillow... I'll never get sick of picturing the look that must have been on your poor mom's face when she changed your sheets and found them just sprinkled with sugar. Yeah, I wonder what she thought. Did you ever ask her? No, maybe she never changed my sheets. (laughs) (laughs) They were just filthy and sugary. They were just filthy and sugary, and that was that. So anyway, my sister Fiona and I shared a room, and she was on to my secret because I think she could hear me like with a crinkly little sandwich bag and, you know, eating whatever it was. And she used to blackmail me all the time. So whenever I would catch her doing something bad, I would say, oh, I'm going to tell mom. She would suddenly narrow her eyes and shoot this look at me and then just say, on len chalk, which was her acronym for orange stuff, lemon stuff, 
and chocolate stuff, which were the three flavors of the drink mix powder that I kept squirreled away in my sheets. But what I couldn't understand is why she called it on len chalk because it's orange stuff. <laughs> lemon. I was like, it should be on lem chalk, but maybe it's easier to say on len chalk. Should it be or lem chalk? I don't know, but online chalk is kind of a fun little chance, like online chalk. <laughs> like if I ever, it's very threatening. Yep, if I start doing like transcendental meditation, that will be my mantra. That's great. Online chalk, online chalk, <laughs> online chalk. <laughs> As you drift off into sleep. Not sleep, meditation. That's right. Well, going back to sleep, some kids went to bed with uh, their teddy bears, but you went to sleep with bags of sugar. It wasn't for very long, and I got over it. But my point is that it's unreasonable to expect that people who go paleo will suddenly cut sweets out completely. Very few people can go cold turkey like that for a sustainable period of time. That's probably one of the reasons why folks who do a Whole30 nutritional reset, which eliminates all gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, and a bunch of other foods for 30 days, don't continue to do a Whole30 indefinitely. It's not impossible, but it's certainly not easy. I'm sure it's especially challenging for people who grew up eating bags of sugar in bed. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> so what about the other end of the spectrum, Michelle? What about those who think that anything goes as long as desserts are made from paleo ingredients? Well, that's pretty extreme, too. I mean, I get that for a lot of people who are used to eating super processed desserts made from terrible, low-quality ingredients... Replacing the worst ingredients in dessert is a step in the right direction. For people with gluten issues, replacing the flour in their cookies with gluten-free or grain-free substitutes will make them feel better. So I don't mean to say that grain-free desserts aren't helpful. But helpful isn't the same as healthful, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, paleo desserts might be a step in the right direction, but they're not at the end of the journey. If you're eating paleo because you're on the path towards better health, then paleo desserts are not the destination. I think it's pretty much incontrovertible that eating massive quantities of desserts isn't on the roadmap to a healthy lifestyle. Which is why it can be frustrating sometimes when I see people assume that because there are paleo dessert recipes out there, that's what everyone should be eating every day. Are you saying that you don't think there should be paleo dessert recipes out there? No, no, not at all. Look, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for paleo dessert recipes. And later in this podcast, I'll talk about some of my favorite sources for really excellent paleo desserts. But what I'm saying is that a lot of folks have lost sight of the fact that dessert is meant to be a special occasion food and not an everyday food. It's a celebration food. Right. So that's why you were staring at the cake in all your childhood photos, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't every day that my mom would whip out a cake. It was only for birthdays. And we lived with my grandparents, so there were six people in our house. Even counting aunts and uncles, we probably celebrated fewer than like a dozen birthdays a year, which meant one slice of cake a month at best. And it was always Chinese cake, which is less sweet. <laughs> it's like sugar-free cake. Kind of. It was like this funny spongy stuff. Well, these days you can have cake every single day, and we're not talking about the semi-sweet Chinese cake. For a lot of folks, it's not a once-in-a-while food anymore, because sure, you're not going to polish off a half sheet of chocolate fudge cake every day, but over the past 10 or 15 years, you know, cupcakes have become ubiquitous. I see cupcakes everywhere, every day. They're in my company's cafeteria, in our break rooms. I see them at the supermarket in trays of 12 and 24. Yeah, there are cupcake shops all over the place now. And you get regular size cupcakes, mini cupcakes, gluten-free cupcakes. They even have cupcake ATMs. 
No, seriously. <laughs> wow. Uh, with that much cupcake availability, anyone can now down a few of those every day. Especially the mini ones, right? Yeah, the mini gluten-free cupcakes. But before cupcakes, there was like a huge donut craze in America. And now whoopie pies are back in fashion and cronuts are all the rage. I'm sure all of these doughy portable sugar delivery vehicles are super delicious. But it doesn't mean that these are meant to be everyday foods, even if they're modified so that they're made with quote-unquote paleo ingredients. I hate to turn into an old fogey, but when I was a kid... Dessert. Was, <laughs> when I was a kid. When I was a kid, dessert was usually just some fruit. I don't know if it's just because I grew up in a Chinese household, but after the dinner dishes were in the sink, we just have a few slices of orange and call it a night. My family didn't even bother with the oranges. Chinese American family that doesn't eat oranges after dinner? That's heresy. I actually think it had to do with the fact that Chinese cuisine isn't known for excellent desserts. Sweet red bean soup and black sesame paste isn't your dessert of choice? Blech. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, Mom, I'd rather have ice cream. Do you remember those old PSAs that would come on, Michelle, during the commercial breaks when you watched cartoons as a kid? Oh, howdy, partner. Time for timer. Do you ever get that hungry feeling after school? Boy, I do. I'm so hungry, I could eat a wagon wheel. Not really. I didn't watch a lot of cartoons. I preferred Phil Donahue and daytime soap operas. Well, anyway, there were definitely a lot of PSAs that told kids how to eat. Not all of them were good, but I remember one PSA that wasn't actually directed at kids at all. It seemed like it was directed at adults who were feeding kids. The PSA essentially pointed out that a lot of grown-ups think that a great way to show affection for their children is to give them sweets. That's because it works. When I was a kid, if someone gave me candy, they were pretty awesome in my book. It's a good thing then that no stranger ever offered you candy then. Dodged a bullet there. Anyway, this PSA basically said, hey, there are tons of ways to show that you love your kids. You can hug them, you can praise them, you can give them a kiss or a pat on the head. Or you can just tell them you love them. You don't actually have to give them sugar. If you want to console me, I'd love a big hug. If you want to reward me, a kiss would be great. Well, I don't need a cookie to make me feel better. Some love will work wonders without adding weight. I actually don't remember that particular PSA, but as a parent, I totally agree that it's an incredibly easy trap to fall into. When Ollie gets hurt at school and asks for something sweet to make him feel better, I know it's not actually going to heal him, but I also know that giving him a treat feels special. And it's not like I think parents should never give treats to their kids, right? We totally do it. We have occasional sweet treats in our house. It's just that it's a good reminder that there are other ways to express love, including just spending time with your children. And putting down your phone. Yeah, we can play Stratego. Or poker, or dice, or any kind of gambling. Well, we shouldn't substitute one vice for another. Uh, I don't know what that means. We really should emphasize that occasional treats aren't the problem, but the key word is occasional. That means dessert shouldn't automatically follow dinner. Which is also why you don't have a ton of dessert recipes in the Nom Nom Paleo cookbook, the blog, or the app. Here's the thing about desserts. The food that shows up on my blog, my cookbook, and on Instagram reflect the way I cook for my family, and to be perfectly honest, I rarely whip up sugary treats, paleo or otherwise. 
It's not that I suddenly stopped loving sweets, but after I went paleo, I found that the constant craving was gone. I didn't feel like I physically needed it anymore, and I also knew that if I started backsliding into bad habits and tuck up sweets again, I wouldn't stop. You do have sort of a binary switch when it comes to certain things. Oh, for sure. Like, if you get me started on desserts, you'll have a really hard time keeping me from face-planting into sweets all the time. That's why I rarely indulge in sweet treats these days. Desserts are the exception, not the rule. And in fact, we have a rule for the boys at home. In our home, we generally don't have sweets except on Estes. Owen, do you want to explain what Estes are? Estes are the days of the week that start with the letter S. That means Saturday and Sunday. And Tuesday and Thursday. You just made those up, Ollie. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yep. Seriously, I didn't. Yep. No. Yes. He's lying. So the kids know that unless it's Saturday or Sunday, we won't be having dessert. It sets an expectation that treats are just that. Treats. If we had them every day of the week, they wouldn't be special anymore. I'd be okay with that. I bet you would. Make a weekend treat any day of the week. Make a Saturday. Now that's a Saturday. So Michelle, now that we've established that a special occasion treat is A-OK, can you share some of your favorite paleo desserts? To be honest, a lot of restaurant desserts taste way too sweet for me these days, so I usually stick with super dark chocolate when I get home. I'm talking like 85 or 90% cacao content. For a while, I was nibbling on 100% cacao chocolate, but then I figured, how is that actually a treat when there's nothing sweet at all about it? But super dark chocolate really isn't dessert, Michelle. I think listeners want to know, when you decide to indulge in something sweet, what do you eat? Hmm. Well, I love tangy custards, and I can't think of anything better than a panna cotta with a nice berry compote. And I also can't get that Lilacoy posset that I had at the Millhouse restaurant on Maui out of my mind. But none of those are particularly paleo, right? Because they all contain dairy. When I'm indulging in a dessert, paleo is the last thing on my mind. I can't eat gluten without gastrointestinal issues, so I keep that in mind when I'm ordering or making desserts. But let's face it, when I decide that it's worth it to eat dessert, it's because it's a special occasion or the dessert is insanely tasty, or both. I'm not choosing to eat dessert on the basis of whether it's paleo or non-paleo. That's a, that's a good point. It's not like you're thinking that any dessert, paleo or not, is a health food. So when you're indulging, you're just making a conscious decision to indulge. At the same time, that doesn't mean I don't consider the ingredients that go into my desserts. I love Mexican chocolate pot de creme, for example, but my recipe calls for coconut milk instead of heavy cream so that folks who are dairy-free can enjoy it too. And it's one of your best dessert recipes, in my opinion. That and the Chunky Monkey Ice Cream Bonbons. Yeah, it was just National Ice Cream Day a few days ago, and I was thinking about making a batch of those ice cream bonbons. I love that your ice cream isn't really ice cream at all. It's frozen chunks of banana that's then churned in a food processor with some vanilla extract. I then harden it in the freezer, whip up a batch of paleo magic shell with dark chocolate and coconut oil, and scoop up little bites of banana ice cream to dip in the chocolate. Once the chocolate shell hardens, you have these sweet, delicious, wholesome treats. They're perfect for the summertime. You used to use your ice cream maker a lot, but it seems like there are quicker ways to make ice cream these days. I have a 2x4 ice cream in my book that takes just 2 minutes and 4 ingredients. But I have used my ice cream maker recently. Kelly Brosina has a wonderful book of dairy-free ice creams that I love, and we made a bunch of her recipes not too long ago. She also has a cookbook for chocolate lovers, so that's right up my alley. What other paleo dessert sources do you turn to when you're looking to indulge? 
I think one of the best books in recent memory is Paleo Patisserie by Jenny Hewlett of The Urban Poser. It's a gorgeous new cookbook that features tons of delicious treats. I totally eat anything that Jenny makes. I don't think that I would make them just because they're too hard for me <laughs> to make, <laughs> but they, they're gorgeous. And if you take the time, you will make some really wonderful tasting stuff. Um, Brittany Angel has a cookbook called Every Last Crumb that has wonderful, sweet and savory desserts and treats in it. Leah Valley has a new book too called Sweet Paleo. And of course, Bill and Haley of Primal Palette have some really great grain-free pies and cakes and cookies in Make It Paleo too. And Danielle Walker's cookbooks are chock full of treats made with clean ingredients. And don't forget Simone Miller's No Joke Chocolate Cake from the Zen Belly Cookbook. Oh, that cake rocks my world. And recently, we made a chocolate cinnamon swirled banana bread by Julie Bauer and George Bryant for a photo shoot. And the kids loved it so much that we made it again. So aside from the treats that you'll make at home, do you buy grain-free treats as well? Rarely, but mostly because they're hard to find. You can't really find grain-free treats. You can find gluten-free treats. You can find tons of gluten-free treats, but there aren't that many grain-free treats. Um, When I'm on vacation, I will pick up some Hail Mary tarts. Their miracle tarts are my favorite. Or I'll drop into a gluten-free bakery to pick up a treat or two. I really try not to buy too much because I've learned from experience that if I buy it, I'll eat it all. For example, every time we're in Portland, we drive over to Lake Oswego to visit Kira's Bake Shop and see Kira Busanich. She's a two-time Cupcake Wars champion on the Food Network, and her baked goods are delicious. When I go in there, I want to buy everything. I know I shouldn't because I can't stop myself. I know you also have a stash of Banditos in the freezer, Michelle. Not anymore. I <laughs> Not them anymore. All. So Banditos are one of Paleo Treat's signature items. It's like an almond butter cup. I freeze them before I eat them. And they're kind of my guilty pleasure. That and Hail Mary tarts. But again, I try not to make dessert a habit and it really should be an occasional treat. So once I'm done eating them, I try not to buy them for a long, long time. (laughs) Dark chocolate's in another category though, right? Yeah. To me, it's actually a health food. Sure. Sure. It's a health food. I know. I I know (laughs) that there was that one article that that journalist pretended that chocolate was like a health food and now no one thinks that chocolate is healthy, but I do. Well, as long as you do. Yeah, because I, I really do enjoy it a lot. Square two every day of 85% cacao chocolate is really good. It doesn't have a ton of sugar and it has a lot of good stuff in it too, like magnesium and zinc and healthy fats. Besides, it makes me happy and happiness is a big part of a healthy lifestyle. I love that you found a way to justify eating chocolate as health food. You know it. And there are a lot of worse things I could be eating. Like cotton candy, or donuts, or gluten-free donuts. Or hairballs, or dirt, or poo. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Crush of the week. What's your crush of the week, Michelle? I might be jumping the gun with this one because I haven't actually used it yet. But I was super excited to spy and buy fresh turmeric root at the store. Okay, I'm probably going to sound really stupid, but what do you do with fresh turmeric root? You know, I don't know exactly, but... (laughs) Okay, so I don't feel so stupid. (laughs) But it is a rhizome in the ginger family and has lots of culinary and medicinal uses. Of course, a rhizome. What's a rhizome? It's just a fancy way of saying a whole mess of roots. 
In Diane Morgan's book, Roots, which is really awesome, she shares that the yellow compound found in this rhizome is curcumin, which has been the focus of a bunch of scientific studies because of its anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer potential. It has a bunch of antioxidants. It's also used in Ayurvedic medicine to heal wounds, relieve abdominal pain, and treat a wide variety of other ailments. I think I've only ever had turmeric in powder form as an ingredient in other dishes. Me too. Until recently, I only had it in its dried ground form, which is used in a lot of Indian and Vietnamese dishes. But a few months ago, I tried a fresh turmeric tonic at Mission Heirloom, and the drink was made with fresh turmeric juice, honey, lemon, and water, and it was super refreshing. It was zingy. Zingy. Mm -hmm. So when I spied the fresh roots at the store, I was stoked to stock up on it. Unlike ginger root, which looks kind of like a hand with fingers, fresh turmeric root looks like giant mealworms. (laughs) So the choice is a hand with fingers or gigantic mealworms. Yeah, and then when you peel away the tan skin, the flesh of the root is bright orange. Can't wait to experiment with it. Anyway, I posted a picture on Instagram and asked for suggestions on how to cook it. And some of the ideas that other folks proposed include making turmeric tonic, adding it to kombucha, mixing it into curries, making golden milk, and spicing up sauerkraut. Hmm. Can't wait to see how this all turns out. Okay, boys, what's your crush of the week? I have a crush of the week. It is Ant-Man, the movie. So who are your top three Marvel superheroes? Iron Man, Captain America, and then Ant-Man. I like that he worked at Baskin-Robbins. I would like to work at Baskin-Robbins because I like ice cream, but he got fired. So they found out that Ant-Man used to be in jail. Baskin-Robbins always finds out. (laughs) Just like Santa Claus. But I like Santa Claus better than Baskin-Robbins because I get presents. I get lots of presents from Santa and I get no presents from Baskin-Robbins except a thing of ice cream. I don't think we've ever been to (laughs) Baskin-Robbins. At least I made you laugh a little. Oh, and any crushes of the week from summer camp? My crush of the week is the camp song Popsico. The counselors at camp taught me how to do it. So it basically goes like this. Hey, Owen. Hey, what? Are you ready? For what? To pop. Pop what? Popsico. My hands are high, my feet are low, and this is how I popsico. His hands are high, his feet are low, and this is how he popsicos. Pop. Pop. Seco, pop, pop, seco, pop, seco, pop, pop, seco. Hey, Ollie. Hey, what? Are you ready? For what? To pop. Pop what? Pop, seco. My hands are high, my feet are low, and this is how I pop, seco. His hands, hands are high, high his feet are low, low and this, this is, is how we pop, pop seco. Pop, seco, pop, pop, Question of the week. This week's question of the week comes from Jess, who asked on the blog, You know, I can follow a recipe, but I really don't have a clue as to what I'm doing in the kitchen. Do you have advice for noobs and how to love cooking? Hmm. I have a lot of advice in terms of tips and tricks, and I certainly get into all of that stuff in detail on my blog, cookbook, and app, but I actually can't say that I love cooking. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> so it's hard for me to give anyone advice on how to get the feels for it. Did you just say you don't love cooking? I, I mean, Nom Nom Paleo is all about cooking, right? I know, but I didn't get into cooking because I love cooking. 
I love eating and cooking is just the best way to get something tasty on the table that I also know is healthy. I know that if I have control over what I'm making, I can turn out something tasty. So I'm cool with rolling up my sleeves and getting to work in the kitchen, but for me, cooking is a means to an end and not the end itself. It actually took me a while to recognize that cooking is a necessity for good health, like brushing your teeth or sleeping. Also, cooking is a skill that needs to be practiced and honed, so it's not like you can just do it once in a blue moon and be good at it. So I work at it. I know some people naturally love cooking, like my sister. It's therapeutic for them. They like butchering meat or hovering over a stove, but they also enjoy it because they've been practicing for a long time and they're good at it. It's hard to be good at something right off the bat, unless you just happen to be one of those rare geniuses who are born to cook. So most of us flail around in the kitchen for a while, and that's okay. Just keep practicing and you'll get better, a lot better. And with competence and skill comes pleasure and the pleasure of being able to whip up healthy, delicious meals. You do have a lot of kitchen tips though, right? Yeah, as I said earlier, I have plenty of practical kitchen tips for newbies. I can't go over all of them right now, but I can share with you my tip on how to start loving what you make. Just find tasty, simple recipes that you know will work the very first time you try it. Some examples of that are like my slow cooker, cool pig, but the pressure cooker version is better. Or crackling chicken. And just be organized when you cook. Know that like all skills, you will get better with patience, persistence, and commitment. And if that doesn't work, just do what I did. Make sure you live with someone with cooking skills. Oh, I see how it is. <laughs> So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step -step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us next time for more Nom Nom Paleo podcasts.